Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're Mumbrella listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. And I'm Hannah Blackiston. Now, it's a bit of a small team on the Mumbrella Cast today. We're in the midst of an office move, which might be why the acoustics <laughs> sound a little bit different to everybody. We're no longer parked in a soundproof studio with the whiz-bang facilities we used to have. We're on the road at the moment, a little bit unsettled, a little bit discombobulated. Got illnesses in the team and we're both very tired, so apologies. <laughs> so get excited, guys. <laughs> apologies in advance. Later in this episode, I'll be talking to Shutterstock Chief Marketing Officer Lou Weiss about Shutterstock's infamous fire Festival campaign. We needed a shot of swimming pigs because this island that the festival is supposed to be on is famous for swimming pigs. The biggest challenges facing marketers. It used to be that a brand could stand out by being creative. And it's coming to the point now where you start to stand out if you're not creative and not in a good way. And the complicated world of social media marketing. Before it was called social, it was called content and community. And I actually think that's a better name for what it really is. But first, the week's topics. It's another Foxtel Revolution. Ten's Pilot Week draws to a close. And the industry takes stock on Are You OK Day. First up, Foxtel was filling our inboxes up earlier this week with many, many announcements. The first cab off the rank was unsurprising for most people who've been keeping an eye on things with Multi-Channel Network, or MCN, now being known as Foxtel Media. Then there was the launch of BBC Earth and the teaser of a completely new lifestyle and entertainment offering. Then the reveal of that change came with new Foxtel branded channels and a revamped lifestyle output. And finally, Foxtel Media launched a number of initiatives aimed at reducing the ad load on the subscription television service to enhance the viewer experience. Hannah, I've been with Mumbrella for almost three years now, and this feels like at least the 300th Foxtel revolution I've been through. <laughs> they are a very unsettled nation with all sorts of revolutions. Is this one of any significance compared to the previous iterations of the new Foxtel that we've seen? Yeah, I think when I was writing the story um, about this latest rebrand which or overhaul, which they're calling unapologetically and unmistakably Foxtel. Um, I think I was going back through the old stories and there was since 2017, there was about four different stories I had to link to. What was interesting to me is when we went to the event earlier in the week, um, Foxtel's own hype reel began with them saying Foxtel is back, which to me seems like an interesting claim for a company that hasn't gone anywhere. Um, I don't know whether this one is going to stick any longer than any of the others are. Um, to me, doesn't seem that overwhelming. I suppose the biggest thing out of that is probably them pulling MCN slash now Foxtel Media closer in, which we already knew they were planning on doing anyway. Um, we already knew Foxtel Media was planning a whole bunch of new ad um ad offerings we already knew that they wanted to do something different in that space because that's a lot of what foxtel 
gets backlash for is the fact that they're a subscription TV platform that still has a lot of advertising. Yeah, so consumers are already paying for the content and then they're also being sold to while they're paying for that content. And one of the things they announced was a queue break, which is a quick Mm. break uh, where for three seconds they'll explain to viewers what's about to happen and there'll be two six-second ads and that's between programs. So they're saying, you know, we're only going to take up 15 seconds of your time. Cue break. It's so quick. We can't even say quick. It's just a cue break. And then they've also got M breaks, which are minute breaks, two 30-second ads. So they're saying that will increase the impact for advertisers because people are more likely to be like, oh, it's only just 15 seconds. I'll sit here and engage with it. And I guess in theory they won't be as resentful that they're having to watch ads because there'll be less of them. Yeah, I think they were saying that in 30 minutes of programming, the fact that up until now there's been eight minutes of ads seems like an overload. I do, however, think that maybe if you have to explain your ad break to viewers before you go into it, that's maybe a slight concern. I really want to see that. Like I get the motivation for it because – they are wanting to say to viewers, like, don't get up and, yep. like, go and have a shower, make a cup of tea. <laughs> this isn't going to be a really annoying long break that really disrupts your viewing experience. Like, it's a really quick interruption. Just watch it and it'll be over. So I totally, totally get the motivation. But I haven't actually seen an example of it and I'd like to because it is funny. It feels quite sort of old school to be like, and now some commercials. <laughs> yeah, no, it is interesting. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like when it goes live. Um, the other announcement was for new channels, which are all Fox branded, very strongly Fox branded. So we've got Fox One, Fox Funny, Fox Hits and Fox Crime. They'll join the existing Fox Showcase, Fox 8, Fox Classics and Fox Sports. And if I say Fox again, I will... <laughs> Have a something. Um, so Patrick Delaney, Foxtel CEO, world's most enthusiastic man, said that that's to take advantage of the entertainment brand that is Fox. It's interesting timing for me because we've just seen the launch or the announcement for the launch of Disney Plus, which obviously now Disney Plus is able to offer 20th century Fox properties, which they are pushing very strongly. It'll be the first time you've been able to stream The Simpsons on an online platform like that. I would imagine that for Foxtel, that puts a real big question mark on their own. A lot of what they've got to offer is those properties that haven't, aren't available to stream. So to me, this seemed pretty clearly like their response to that. Um, of course, those channels aren't new channels. Well, they're new channels, but they're just replacing old channels. They're not new launches. Just like BBC Earth isn't a new launch, it's a replacement for BBC Knowledge. Um, So it's just a whole lot of new name changes, a whole lot of new logos. Um, The other thing was their lifestyle package, which is undergoing a brand revision and revitalization that again just kind of seemed like maybe we're moving some stuff around and we're going to try and flash some things at you and hopefully you won't notice that not much is happening. Yeah, look, we're obviously... um quite cynical of it because we feel like we've seen this all before. A couple of years ago, there was a big rebrand where Foxtel changed its logo and said that those big, bright, orangey, yellowy letters that were all in caps were sort of too aggressive and too masculine and they wanted to tone it down. But even that logo has since been redone. But with all of that in mind, when we were sitting in this event, one of the things that Patrick Delaney went over again was the 
embedding of Netflix content on the new Foxtel uh, user interface. And we had actually seen that in a presentation a couple of weeks ago. We'd written about it. I felt like everybody knew about that by now. But there were people from media agencies high up in the audience, uh, CEOs, trading directors, all kinds, who when I asked them what did they think of the presentation – they were genuinely like, oh my God, that Netflix thing is crazy. Like that's really big news. And partly I, I sort of disagreed with it, but also I was like, oh, this is, this is news to them. Like not everybody already knew about that. So people were more impressed perhaps than we were. And I think we do need to acknowledge that, that our view isn't the only one. I spoke to so many people who were like, oh, this is so exciting. It's so good. Now, whether that just comes back to Patrick Delaney being the world's most enthusiastic <laughs> CEO and being able to sell something so effectively with his enthusiasm on stage, I, I'm not sure, but people did buy into it probably more than we did. Yeah, and of course there's also a reminder from Foxtel that KO is performing really well. Um, their sport offering has always been a really strong platform for them and they did – it was – the presentation led in with sport. Um, it was emceed by Eddie Maguire. So it was a very strong <laughs> focus on what is their strongest assets, which of course you would. And so I do agree with you. I think probably we have a tendency to be more cynical, especially because we have to do all the backlinks to all the other rebrands before this one. And speaking of Eddie Maguire, I guess the the low point for me of, of the evening, of the whole presentation was – and I'm sure they've got research to back it and, and I'm I'm sure they're not doing anything accidentally. But the way that it was so men versus women in mm. terms of stereotypes and viewing, it was like lads, 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 sport, sport, sport. Eddie Maguire, who has a difficult, complex relationship in the media and, and his words about women, you know, threatening to, well, not threatening to, but joking about drowning a female journalist and whatnot, paid a cursory mention to, you know, females being able to play sport and people watching it. But the main thrust of their pitch about women was women love drama and gossip. And it was very sort of flowery and light compared to all the big bang sports stuff that they had. And that was just a bit frustrating I guess to sit through yeah I um had a couple of issues with the fact that um lifestyle head Wendy Moore who moved over there from Pacific magazines she kind of fronted up the presentation of their new lifestyle offerings and it was a lot of focus on you know guilty pleasures and what you watch when your husband and the kids are out and you know women love salacious I believe the term was salacious gossip and drama and yeah it did feel a bit old-fashioned but as you say, I'm sure they've got something to back it up. It just, yeah, left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Well, that will be Mumbrella's next podcast offering, Mumbrella <laughs> Salacious Gossip and Drama, <laughs> brought to you by our all-female team. But up next, Ten's Pilot Week proves audiences actually do care about Roxy Jacenko. Ken's 2019 Pilot Week run has almost concluded. Up to date, we've had Sydney's Crazy Rich Asians, Part-Time Private Eyes, and I Am Roxy Air. We've got my 80-year-old flatmate left. 
Um, and up until this point, I am Roxy has brought in the most viewers. We've had 399,000 Metro viewers for it on Wednesday night. We had 175,000 for Sydney's Crazy Rich Asians and 344,000 for Part-Time Private Eyes. It's worth noting that my 80-year-old flatmate will air at 8.30 p.m. on Friday, coming in after the living room, which to me that suggests it's unlikely to overtake I Am Roxy. It hasn't got a great springboard. Viv, you interviewed Roxy for a special episode of the Mumbrella cast, which everyone should go and listen to if they've not already. Do you think she'll be happy with the result? I can confirm as someone who's been on Roxy's Instagram today (laughs) uh, that she is very happy with the result, it's interesting seeing how this story has been splashed across different media networks with some saying it's a success and some saying it's a failure. I think it's difficult to class it as a failure when thus far it's the highest rating Pilot Week episode of this year and even with all of last year's eight Pilot Week offerings, only one show, which was Kinney Tonight, beat I Am Roxy's figures. So I Am Roxy had 399 overnight Metro viewers and Kinney Tonight had 404,000. So it's only a difference of 5,000 people in theory. So I think that is a success. It was on at 8.30 p.m. As you alluded to, it's likely to win Pilot Week for 10. So I think, yes, she would be happy with that result. Don't know how happy she'd be with the social media commentary around it. But if you tune in to my special Mumbrella Cast episode with Roxy, I think you'll get the strong impression that she doesn't care about the negativity. Yeah, I think that's the strong impression from her in general. So Pilot Week is 10's programming experiment began last year where they kind of run just the pilot episodes of programs and supposedly based off audience and commercial and programming response, they decide which ones are going to get a run. Last year there were way more offerings. I think there were seven or eight last year. Eight, Eight last year. And this year we only saw four. We meant to see five. Catfish Australia got dropped too early. Um, Well, got dropped because nobody was interested. So as – Last year we got eight and four were commissioned. This year we've had four. How many are they going to commission? I don't know that they've confirmed that yet, but the rumour mill seems to be that the two that would get a go or should get a go is Sydney's Crazy Rich Asians and I Am Roxy. But there's nothing to stop them commissioning all four. Mm. Uh, Tens upfronts are in October. That might be what they announced, that all four are coming back. I'm sure there'll be lots of meetings between now and then as they work out what they want to do. I mean, I admire Ten's tenacity in, in doing this Pilot Week experiment, but it's not quite like Pilot Week over in the US where mm. it's a genuine frenzy of actors auditioning and writers trying to get their shows off the ground and actual pilots that might come back and might not. And that's why when you watch – shows from the States, you often really see a difference from episode one to episode two. The sets will change. Sometimes the actors will change. Sometimes the people involved will change. And you see the production get way more slick between episode one and episode two because often they're making episode one without it even being commissioned, without even knowing what was going to happen. Ten's pilot week doesn't really have that air about it. It doesn't feel like they're taking risks on unknown up-and-comers in a lot of instances. Roxy Jasenko is hardly a struggling unknown. She's a 
well-known, very wealthy, very successful woman who people already read about and watch on various social media platforms. So it is it is different, but I think they'll just see how many holes they have in their programming slate next year <laughs> and decide how many they need to get them through. Yeah, it's inter- it's worth noting as well, as you said there, you know, initially pilot season would just be you'd film one episode. I am fairly sure they've already filmed almost all of Roxy's show. I would imagine Sydney's Crazy Rich Asians got the same. Um, it's interesting. Part-time Private Eyes has been really well received online. I was That's the only one I haven't actually watched, but I the reviews were excellent of it. So it will be really interesting with that kind of um, view of it to see which ones do get the green light. Also interesting, I guess, to see how my 80-year-old flatmate does. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Also, I'm sure sure everything will be revealed at Upfronts as 10 keep telling us. Yeah, and, and 10 still has a few more shows to go this year as well. You know, there's Masked Singer, which is oh, yeah. starting. They've been heavily promoting. They've really just heavy. started promoting Angie Kent in the Bachelorette role. We I'm still not, haven't seen Trial by Kyle. I'm not sure when that's coming. So that's a, a show with Kyle Sanderlands from Kiss FM who is sort of in a Judge Judy role and that was commissioned from Pilot Week last year. I've seen no promos. I feel like somehow we're already in mid-September. I'm not sure when they're going to squeeze it in, but maybe it's not a very long run. You know, it's not going to be a 24-episode drama, is it? No, and they've also got The Amazing Race still to come and I believe that's coming fairly late in the year. So their slate is pretty chockers for the second half of the year. So yeah, it will be interesting to see, especially with Jackie O now. And Jackie O, obviously, Kyle's on-air partner is on The Masked Singer. So it'll be very interesting to see whether they maybe take advantage of that and tee it up there. But they're running out of time, I think. Next up, the media and marketing industry reflects on Are You OK Day? So we're recording this episode on Are You OK Day, which is a bit of a movement and awareness about trying to encourage people to ask those around them if they're okay and go a bit deeper than simply saying good in response. We do have a bit of a habit, even when we're not fine, how are you? Good. How are you? Fine. How are you? Tired. And not really (laughs) going much further than that. And it's about opening up that conversation it is a movement that a lot of celebrities, influencers and media personalities have gotten behind. It's also one that's had a bit of criticism in that some people have said, you know, it's just not enough to ask. People aren't equipped with the strategies for if somebody comes back and says, actually, nope, I'm not. Mm. So it's all well and good to ask and some people have said it needs to be more than a question once a year, we need to do more. But there's been so much focus on the media marketing and advertising industries mental health lately. So it's quite fortuitous timing with a number of uh, brands in the industry getting behind it. So Australian radio networks uh, stations are taking 10 seconds silence on air every hour all day on Kiss Sydney and Melbourne. And the Works has partnered with the charity for a voice action on Google Home and assistant devices to help people navigate having some of those tougher conversations. So around that, three phase marketing's Marnie Vinal shared her struggles with mental health on Mumbrella on Are You OK Day and explained why we need to talk about it every day, not just 
on Are You OK Day. Hannah, what did you think of Marnie's piece? It was quite confronting. You know, she was sort of talking about having breakdowns in the toilets and having to quit her job and deal with deal with that. It was pretty full on. Yeah, it was really full on um, and kudos to her for sharing her story. Um, I do think it's really important that people do share their story. We're not going to get better at talking about it unless people do talk about it. Um, yeah, and I do think obviously she made a very important point as well. It's all well and good to say once a year to <laughs> turn to your mate and say, are oh, you okay? But it is really important that we pay more attention to that. Um, I think we also had an op-ed recently from Quips Amber Robinson, which said it's time that the industry does more than talk. It's time that we take action. And I think that's something we've been hearing yeah, a lot about this year. That's a really interesting point because it is great to talk about it and it, it's important to get rid of that stigma. But I think something we'll increasingly see next year is the spotlight being turned a bit on expectations and particularly on agencies and their treatment of people and burnout and all of those things because they they all have great people and culture departments they all have great fun days out and and some really interesting and innovative initiatives around staff mental health and well-being and self-care and all of those buzzwords but people are starting to say no no it needs to be more than that it mm. needs to be more than renaming your human resources department to people and culture it needs to be more than just allowing somebody to work from home every now and then and we actually need to evaluate the culture of the industry and the expectations of the industry and just how hard we go and all of it that comes with that and that burnout and that churn and the expectations. So I think we will see a lot more of that in 2020, people turning the spotlight back onto agencies themselves and saying, well, how are you contributing to this problem, not just how are you trying to yeah. get rid of it? And I think in line with what um, Marnie said as well, there needs to be more training as well because – the fact of the matter is if you were to ask me if I'm okay and I turn around and say no, are you prepped to deal with that? So I think, yeah, we're definitely going to see a focus on that next year too. Next up, at the Mumbrella B2B Marketing Summit, I sat down with Shutterstock CMO Lou Weiss. Joining me now on the Mumbrella cast is Lou Weiss, the Chief Marketing Officer of Shutterstock. Welcome, Lou. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, Lou's had quite an adventure getting here. He's come to join us at Mumbrella's B2B Marketing Summit, and I believe it's taken you a number of days to get here. Yeah, it's true. It, uh, I'm, I'm here to talk about a campaign that featured a some really botched travel plans, and I had some really botched <laughs> travel plans along the way of getting here to talk about it. So I guess uh, that's all uh, life imitates art. And this was the the hurricane preventing you from getting to our shores, was Exa it? Exactly right. So speaking of botched travel plans, you alluded there to your fire festival campaign, which got you a lot of attention and a lot of headlines. So for anyone who doesn't know, I suggest. The summary would be to head to Netflix and watch the Fire Festival documentary for everything that went wrong with this huge festival, which was backed by influencers and meant to be the party of the decade and all fell apart. So something that went so horribly wrong, how did you see an opportunity for Shutterstock to use that as a marketing tool? That's a great question. Uh, what, what went really right for the Fire Festival that ultimately proved to be the problem was they made the most incredible trailer 
that generated so much excitement about this event that it was amazing. They spent millions of dollars. They flew down uh, entertainers, singers, models, a very heavy production crew down to this island in the Bahamas that used to be owned by Pablo Escobar. And they just made this incredible trailer about this party they were throwing that was going to be the music festival of of a lifetime. Uh, Gourmet food, gourmet accommodations, just it was going to be incredible. And everybody was really, really excited for it. And that was ultimately the problem. So you then, as Shutterstock, when this all fell apart, mimicked this very extravagant trailer. But I'm imagining yours was done on a bit of a tighter budget. Yes, tighter budget, shorter time frame. Uh, A couple of days after the documentaries came out, we uh, got together and had the idea of showing what you could do with our stuff uh, to make a trailer that might have set them up for success, more leaving them more money to actually throw the festival instead of just promote the festival. And so uh, we we acted just like one of our customers. Uh, we spent a couple of thousand dollars on footage from us, and uh, we spent some time within the video editing bay, and we produced uh, a very reasonable facsimile of their promotional piece uh, for, like I said, a couple of thousand dollars in a couple of days. So in making this mock trailer that mimicked the fire festival one did you go out and shoot any extra footage or you just used what Shutterstock already had no the whole point was to use exactly what we had and given that we have 180 million assets and we had a, a 1.5 million assets every single week we have everything under the sun we needed videos of we needed a shot of swimming pigs because this island that the <laughs> festival is supposed to be on is famous for swimming pigs i discovered we have over 200 clips of swimming pigs how many clips of swimming pigs can one possibly need in a lifetime? I don't know the answer to that, <laughs> but somebody made them, somebody's licensing them, and they were there for us to use. Going out and shooting original footage would have defeated the entire purpose of the campaign and the authenticity of the campaign. And there was, there we, we could have made 20 versions of this trailer with, with different clips. We could have made 100. So in creating this trailer, you wanted to show the market, I guess, just how much footage Shutterstock has available for, for people to use? Not, not only not only the breadth and depth and variety, but just how fresh the content is. People have this image of stock photography and stock video uh, as being sort of quite unstylish and, and, and forced and, and very stocky, you know, to use the word. And so the frame up of the It's Not Stock, It's Shutterstock campaign was to show people the incredible assets that we have that our 900,000 creators around the world contribute to our platform. I mean, there's real artistry in some of this stuff. And uh, we just wanted to sort of do what our customers do and, and use it to, to tell our story and get people excited about who we are and what makes us different and special. Speaking of that perception of sh- stock images being a bit stale, I guess often what comes to mind is those really cliched boardroom shots of all white people all dressed in playing clothes, pretending to point at a presentation. How do you communicate to businesses and and to consumers that that actually it's really creative and it's not just boring men in suits pointing at a whiteboard? That's a great question. And and that's really the whole point of the campaign. One of the things that we believe because we're such a visual company in the first place is that our job is to show rather than to tell what makes us different and special. And we believe as marketers that that's good marketing for everybody. So for us to make a commercial or a video spot that says, we've got over, uh, you know, this many assets and this much a week and and you should come check it out. That's telling. 
That's not convincing anybody. That's not proving the point. But with the videos that we've gone out and made with the Fire Festival, with the moon landing, with Game of Thrones, with our April Fool's uh, video, with the Stranger Things video, people are saying that no matter what it is, we can make it quickly and cheaply and compellingly in a way that people are really surprised about. And that's what's been the, the driver of the campaign. And do you have a quality threshold at Shutterstock in that in the age of smart devices and smartphones and everyone photographing everything themselves, so many people believe that they're creators and they can take excellent photos themselves. So again, how do you convince people that your footage and, and your library is better than what everyone else is producing on their own devices? That, that's a fantastic question. So first, we review with both uh, machine vision as well as human beings, every single piece of creative that is submitted to our network. And we don't accept every single piece of creative that's submitted to our network. I was very comforted when I first joined the company to discover that everything I submitted was rejected. <laughs> I, I actually found that quite comforting because I'm not, a, I'm not a skilled photographer or videographer. And it was clear to me that the system worked because I submitted content and all of it got rejected. Were you submitting deliberately bad content? I, I was not. <laughs> I was quite cute pictures of my dog Ooh. and video of him playing outside and some some other shots, some food shots and some other things, all rejected for various reasons that I begrudgingly agree with. <laughs> so not just anything can end up on the library is what you're saying. Yeah. And it's not, it, it, the judgment is not about subject matter per se, because who's to say that we don't need 200 videos of swimming pigs? It's the it's the technical quality, it's the composition, it's the objective standards of what makes good imagery, what makes good video, what makes good music sound beds on our premiumbeat.com property and our Shutterstock Music property. That's what we're looking for. And th those are the thresholds that uh, will cause us to reject something if it's not up to the quality standards that, that we and our customers expect from these these wonderful contributors who who make the things that we sell. And you've come to join us at Mumbrella's B2B Marketing Summit in Sydney, but you've obviously come all the way from the States. Talk to us about the Australian market, though. Is it an important one for you, other than obviously coming out for our summit? It, it absolutely is, and that's why I'm here as well. Australia is a top three market for us in Asia Pacific. It's one of our focus countries for 2020, and we see, we're seeing great growth here, and we know that there's more there's a wonderful creative community here in Australia, and we can see more and more that people are coming to understand, hopefully through the campaign, as well as through our, the, the other efforts we make, that we've got stuff that will help them get their jobs done and tell their stories in a way that'll drive their business. And we're really excited about that. And we think this is a fantastic opportunity for us. Now, moving on just momentarily from Shutterstock, you also uh, had a role at a meal delivery kit company, I believe, that was called Plated. That's true. When were you working with them? I've worked with them uh, from 2006, let's 2017 through 2018. Okay. And that area has just absolutely boomed, especially here as well. How, as a marketer, can you differentiate yourself in a, such a crowded cluttered space? It's a great question. The, the, one of the challenges of being a marketer is that it's easier to tell a story than it is to have a true story to tell. <laughs> and one of the things that was great about both Plated and is true about Shutterstock certainly is great stories and the opportunity to tell them even better. So with Plated, what we talked about was Plated Nights. So the, the, the chicken in the box 
might be the same chicken in another box. The recipes we thought were, 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 we were very gourmet and creative and those were certainly differentiated. But from a marketing perspective, the story that we told, which was really what our customers told us, was that they looked forward to their plated nights. And when we made it about the night instead of about the chicken in the box, nobody else could market it because we're the only people who could sell plated nights. That was a really interesting point there about having a good story to tell and, and a true story to tell as a marketer. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to try and tell a story when there really isn't one to tell? I'm not that talented. <laughs> uh, I always make sure that there's a solid product or service in line before I put my hand up and say, I'd like to help with the marketing. I'm just I'm just not talented enough to market a there that's not there. So you, you let the product do the hard work and then and then you swoop in and tell the good story. I guess I would say that I market <laughs> things I believe in. So what do you believe in about Shutterstock and Australia in 2020? How do you believe that that can grow here next year? Well, so I, I believe that I, I know we have the most and the freshest content. That's very clear in the marketplace. We have wonderful search and discovery technology that helps you navigate that content, looking for inspiration, looking for specific things when you have an idea in your head, looking for general concepts when you don't really know what you're looking for yet. And that's really important because if you have the most content and you don't have the best search and discovery tools, then the content becomes a problem, not an opportunity because it's hard to navigate. So we've worked really hard on our technology for search and discovery. And those two things combined with the fact that we've always had the best service in the business, we think is what's helping to drive the growth we're enjoying in Australia and other APAC countries of late and that we expect to accelerate in 2020. And closer to home for you, what are the, some of the biggest challenges that marketers are facing in America at the moment? <sighs> That's a great question. I think the standards, because of social media and because of this sort of native digital generation, the expectations on consumers' parts and B2B customers' parts who are consumers at heart are so high that it used to be that a brand could stand out by being creative and it's coming to the point now where you start to stand out if you're not creative and not in a good way. If you don't have an authentic story about your brand, your mission, what makes you different and special, you're going to get left behind because the, the sophistication that's out there is incredible. And it's it, the, the rate of acceleration in that sophistication is only increasing, again, because of digital natives, because of millennials, because of Gen Z. And that's an incredible challenge for marketers. The explosion of content that is needed to run a decent social channel is very different than what it was five or 10 years ago. And when you combine that sophistication with the sheer volume that's expected to be produced and people are looking for very high volume and very high quality and very high narrative value all at the same time. And by the way, please do it cheaply and quickly. Those are real challenges. And, and we think we're here to help with those challenges, but they're real challenges. Speaking of being active on social, I hear that you've been quite active on your own social channels about appearing at our B2B marketing summit. Would you say that you've got your head around social media from a personal and professional perspective? That's a great question. So I've been in internet marketing continuously since 1995, and I'm going to get it figured out if it kills me. It probably will. But before, I've been doing this a long time, and before it was called social, it was called content and community. And I actually think that's a better name for what it really is. It's about content, whether it's user-generated or company-generated, and it's about community. It's about coming together to have a conversation. This conference that I'm really excited to be a part of is both. It is content around the community of B2B marketers in and around Australia. And 
the chance for me to tell that story, for me to come here and share Shutterstock's story, which is how we help other companies tell their stories, is really, really exciting for me. I have certainly told that story in my personal social media. And it's very interesting, the different platforms, the different reactions I get, what my Facebook friends say, as opposed to what my LinkedIn friends say is, you know, as you'd expect from those two different platforms, very much night and day. So speaking of content and community, then do you think some people are just overcomplicating marketing and overcomplicating digital? I I, I don't want to say overcomplicating. I like to say that it's common sense, but I don't know that that's fair. It's marketing for me has always been about not getting people to do what I want them to do, but helping people to understand why they should want to do what I want them to do about aligning the interests. And again, it starts for me with always having a product or service I believe in, which makes that much easier. And then it's about finding the right people who should want and need the product that we have and just explaining to them, if you have this unmet need, we are a solution. Here's how, let me give you some reasons to believe. Let me give you a way to experience. And then you decide for yourself. All right. Well, Lou Weiss, thank you very much for joining us on the Mumbrella Cast. Thanks for having me. If you're listening to this as it comes out or in the week immediately following, know that there's just days left for you to get your tickets to Mumbrella's published conference taking place on the 19th of September in Sydney. We've just announced the final session to be added to the lineup. The new boss of Australian Community Media and the ex-CEO of Domain, Anthony Catalano, will be talking for the first time on a panel since taking the reins of ACM from Nine about regional and local news, the challenges and the opportunities in the space and what his plans are with the business. Alongside that, we'll have speakers from Murray Clare in the UK, Facebook, Guardian Australia, Google, Nine and much, much more. So head to mumbrella.com.au slash publish to get your tickets. For now, though, thank you, Hannah, for joining me in this very echoey room. (laughs) Thank you, Vivian. Mm -hmm.